excuses, excuses, excuses. My intention over these uh, next uh, few weeks is to do a short series on excuses that uh, people give and employ to avoid coming to Christ or even considering the thought. People employ them to avoid the consequences of inattention, inattention or even flagrant disobedience. People employ excuses all the time for different reasons. The lawyer and statesman uh, Daniel Webster was a powerful orator and uh, early in his childhood he proved to have a very quick mind and a way with words. And um, one day Webster's father, who was uh, to be absent from home, he left uh, the two boys, Daniel and his brother Ezekiel, some specific jobs to do with very specific instructions. But on his return, he found the task still undone. Anybody <laughs> understand that? <laughs> he found the task still undone and questioned his sons about this dilemma. What have you been doing, Ezekiel? he asked. Nothing, sir. Well, Daniel, what have you been doing? Helping Zeke, sir. The following are a couple of uh, excuses uh, found on insurance forms, and you've probably seen a lot of these yourself on the internet. And uh, some of these, uh, they're from accident reports that you, you tend to wonder whether these people might have a casual grasp on the here and now. And it says, uh, a couple of them say here, coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. <laughs> and then there was the guy the guy was all over the road I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him <laughs> and then uh, one of the early radio shows employed, oh, employed the excuse very well as its uh, comic line the serial was called Yes What? you remember? it was set in a school room with Bottomley Stanforth and Greenbottle and the headmaster was Dr Percival Pym, who had all the trouble in the world in keeping the class in order. And I recall one of, the green, one of Greenbottle's excuses for not getting to school on time was that his mother had no lid for the saucepan on the stove. And I don't know why this one particularly has, has resonated in my mind, but uh, maybe it's because we had a wood stove at home too. I don't really know, but uh, I remember this one. And Dr Pym, with great frustration, asked, how did your mother, not having a lid for the saucepan on the stove, stop you from getting to school on time? And Greenbottle replied, well, she made me sit on the saucepan, sir. <laughs> then there was the inevitable sound of the cane across Greenbottle's backside, <laughs> if you remember that whack. <laughs> Maybe you've employed an excuse or two in the hope of avoiding trouble. You ever tried that? Yes, I see a few nods there. We're too old to, to try and avoid that one, aren't we? There is a day coming where no excuse will have a comic element to it. People will be asked, what did you do with the free pardon you were offered by my son Jesus 
dying on the cross for you. There will be no humour clever enough to overshadow the importance of the eternal value of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29 says, Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Every day of rejection is being recorded by God. In Romans 1.20, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and we can't go around without seeing that, unless, of course, we're blind. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. No one will be able to say they did not know there was a God. But people employ excuses all the time for not coming to Christ to receive the free pardon. I think probably my biggest excuse was just plain ignorance. I didn't know that I needed to take that step. But I was still responsible because it was all before me. And then one day I heard that uh, preacher preach and I knew it was to me. Well, one of those excuses we're going to look at today is, well, not today. Not today. Some think that to come to Christ now will cramp their style so they think, when I've lived a little and then I'll come to Christ The gospel message is an urgent message, for no one is guaranteed tomorrow. People gamble their eternity on a future day when they may respond to the mercy of God, a day they may not have. Proverbs 27 and verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. And in James chapter 4 we read, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and we'll do this or that. So in other words, he's saying there, that we need to acknowledge that God is the one who controls uh, our going to and fro in this world. But uh, it's a day that we may not have that we are trusting in in the future if we say, well, not today, but maybe soon. So we see that there is the urgency of wisdom. These texts are expressing the urgency of wisdom. If the Lord calls you now, then come now, for you may not have a tomorrow. And it's an important thing that we need to talk to people about because we do not know whether we've got a tomorrow. I mean, how many of us have heard 
tra of tragic events on the TV and uh, on the radio reports of people being killed in accidents and so on. It's, uh, it's, a, great, it's a great tragedy. And I remember hearing of, of a tragic event in Toowoomba where, where a young boy was killed and it was, it was a terribly, terribly sad situation. But the point is, we don't know that we have a tomorrow. And this is why it is so urgent. If the Lord calls you now, then come now, for you may not have a tomorrow. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 says, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So there's a definite thing there. Joshua was calling the people to make a choice. Stop sampling the blessings and receive the one who blesses. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we read, Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? And if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people of Israel did not answer him so much as a word. And when people are silent on a question or avoid the question altogether, they really have made up their mind, but for some reason are not confident enough to make it known. Elijah was calling the people to be public in their commitment to Christ, in their commitment to God. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is here. This is not just for the troubled family of Jacob, but a call to the thirsty in spirit. One commentator said, uh, about this particular chapter. The call to partake of the blessings of the messianic salvation worthily follows the great prophecy of the suffering servant. No doubt the immediate application of this chapter is to the exiled nation and Isaiah was calling them to make the only true blessedness their own by obedience to God's voice. But if ever the prophet spoke to the world and all the generations following, he does so here. It is not unwarranted spiritualising of his invitation which, bears in, which hears in it the voice which invites all mankind to share the blessings of the gospel feast. Why eat bread, dry bread, when there is a feast to be had? In Luke chapter 12, we read, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good things stored up, enough for many years. Rest and relax. Eat, drink and be merry. And that's in the context of continually celebrating. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now... Who will call, who will own the things you have prepared? You know, I've been, uh, I've had the privilege of working on some very lovely old weatherboard Queenslanders. 
and if you've been in the building trade, you'll, you'll know that they are, they are uh, a grand icon of Queensland. And I've had the privilege of working on quite a number of them around here. One in particular comes to mind just a walking distance from here. It was always kept in an immaculate condition. The grounds were manicured too. But just a few years ago I noticed it was gone and an overgrown empty block of ground was left. Now a sterile unrented commercial building is on it. How boring. <laughs> was the Lord speaking of that place when he said, and now who will own all the things you have prepared? He was certainly speaking of where our treasure is, there will our hearts be. If tonight was the night that the Lord required your soul to give an account would it be a joyful or a painful interview? We don't know when we're going to leave this world. Would it be a joyful or a painful interview? The Bible is very, sorry, is everywhere impressing the importance of answering the call of God now and not waiting. So we as Christians need to express that urgency. And if we're casual about that urgency, what message does that send to those who need the message? Ananias said to Saul in Acts chapter 22 and 16, he said, and now why do you wait? Rise, be baptised and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And today I remind us of the urgency of soul winning. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 and 2 says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvellous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, As just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. On May the 26th, 2002, Memorial Day weekend in the US, a barge pilot passed out, fainted, and, uh, and he hit a bridge spanning the river. And this accident dropped a 600-foot span of the bridge 62 feet into the river below. 11 people and a trailer full of show horses died as their cars and 18-wheelers drove over the edge of that missing span, one piling on top of the other. There were several fishermen on the river in a, in a bass competition, fishing, you know, fishing competition, who saw the bridge collapse and realising that the cars and trucks, they were still coming, they were still coming. And one of the fishermen below the bridge reached into his emergency kit for the emergency flare and he fired the missile up over the edge of the last standing bridge span. That one flare providentially hit the windshield of the next 18-wheeler speeding along that bridge. And he hit his brakes and he screeched to a stop and his front wheels just went over the edge like that. And he reversed back up. Then he got out and he began to stop everybody from going over. 
Another boat of fishermen saw a man under the damaged bridge who was holding on for dear life and he got, on, got a flotation device through it to him and he pulled him, pulled him into their boat. You see, one man's error resulted in the death of many people. The one man's quick thinking and action saved the lives of many. The continued action of the other fishermen saved the life of one who was savable but sinking. My friends, you have an emergency flare. It's the gospel. And it's in your emergency kit. And I trust you'd never go anywhere without it. Will you pull it out to save the lives of others? Seeing people sinking down, about to go under, will you throw them a lifesaver? His name is Jesus. Or are you afraid someone will think you silly or stupid for firing a flare or throwing a lifesaver? Now is the day of salvation. It may not be tomorrow. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, indeed, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to understand the urgency of it. And as the scripture says in the words of Jesus himself, that we are to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. Father, help us to get urgent. Help us to understand just how urgent it is to get the gospel to people. Like those fishermen watching all those cars and trucks speeding towards their imminent death. And they did something and they stopped it all. Oh Lord, help us to be prepared to fire the flare of the gospel and throw the lifesaver of Jesus to people, that they might have the opportunity of hearing how much God loves them and cares for them and wants to have them at home in heaven with him when they should leave this world. Help us to love people as you love them, God. To the glory of our Saviour Jesus, who richly deserves all praise and honour, we pray. Amen. Amen.